This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of NRL Boom Rookies. Alongside me, as always, the lone ref in the middle, it's Mitch Doyle. <laughs> We're already starting with referee jokes. I feel like this whole podcast is already ready to be derailed by one referee. Yeah, and um, watching from the sidelines, it's Dale Roots. Hello. Are you, are you ready to take my opinion into consideration? Can we have some kind of survey that I can, Mate, uh, well, I can give you my opinion on? You're a senior official on the sidelines, we've decided, and it's going to keep the same standard. Well, I'm a, I, I am the oldest here, so I mean, and I am clearly in the le- in the least good shape. So this this seems to be the role that was carved out for me. I feel destined to be this this official on the on the sideline. I would like it if going forward you did every podcast in a referee kit, even though I can't see you at the moment. I'd still appreciate it. I, I will do my best. Would Would we like? I know we're going to get onto it later, but would we like the old striped black and white kit? Would we like the? Yeah, I think that's probably the, the best white one. Rabbit, the white rabbit kit. No. Oh, we'll go the striped. Whatever rabbit. the oldest you can find, the oldest <laughs> you can find is the best. Okay, that's I'll how do, this works. I'll do my best. That is, and I'll that be is my true. Whites. <laughs> the heavier, the heavier, and less uh, conducive to exercise the material, the better. Bring back woolen jerseys is what I'm saying. Yes, basically. <laughs> Simi Renrandra trying the chip and chase. Oh no, it's Simi Redradra! Redradra's away! Simi Redradra! Oh, this will be interesting. Oh, yes, it will, yes. Simi Redradra. Oh, he's absolutely buried it! Redradra! But yeah, um, yeah, so that's obviously the big news of the day and the week is. Um, the announcement that not only will the game see one referee for the remainder of the season, but also this bizarre uh, rule regarding um, ruck infringements being replaced uh, with the referee instead calling six again rather than blowing a penalty. It's yeah, it's com- like it's I, I you know I, I slag the AFL for doing a lot of dumb shit, and I feel like a lot of the time they deserve to be slagged. But, like, changing rules in the middle of the season. Like, I know that we're in the middle of a pandemic, but this has to be the silliest decision that we've seen in rugby league for a long time, genuinely. In at least three days. Well, <laughs> look, you're not... Three is kind. It, it's, it's, like the, it's like the sign in The Simpsons where there's been, you know, X days without a workplace injury. There has to be a big sign being operated by somebody at NRL, head, at NRL headquarters like, X days since dumb administrative decision. It's just been ticked over to another big zero, in my humble opinion. That's it, mate. And, and we said on Question Time just last, or well, two days ago, I guess, when I published this with Campo, that I don't actually give a shit about one referee versus two refs. The game's different. It'll be mm. a slog fest, whatever, because I don't focus on the refereeing that much. What I give a shit about is, well, obviously the six again rule I think is dumb, but I give a shit about process and, like, you know, any effective sporting code in the world, rule changes are done by people who work in the game or think about the game or have a, you know, have any clue. You know, we have a coaches committee for a reason for the NRL rule changes every year. We have people who work in the football department who study rule changes every year. And this one's been clearly, I don't care what the excuse is. Peter Valandis has said at one point it's cost cutting, said today it was from an online fan poll. Neither of those reasons matter. They're both just 
confirmation bias, backing up his own agenda that he wants one referee. And if those are the reasons, they're both ridiculous reasons. You know, two and a half million dollars saved is nothing on on this apparent if you move referee. But online fan polls making decisions in the game might be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But like, when when has a, an online poll ever? Uh, turned out badly. If you remember correctly, Mountain Dew was almost called Hitler did nothing wrong a few years ago. So, yeah, <laughs> humans on the internet are idiots. Humans outside so the close. internet but are also no, idiots. Actually, counterpoint to that, Dale, is the time where Walmart had a poll where um, the store that got the most votes, Pitbull would go and perform a live concert there. So 4chan users basically brigaded this poll so that a remote Walmart in Alaska would win. <laughs> and but no, but but he went there, and the photos mm. are great because he's Mister Worldwide. Worldwide, indeed. <laughs> so that Mr. is Nation, one example of an internet poll this, for this being example. used for good. In this case, not really so much because, as you said, the cost-cutting excuse just does not wash with me. Given not only is it a drop in the ocean compared to how much the game makes, but also that we've just signed a record TV deal <laughs> for less money. <laughs> Apparently, we're signing that, but. Yeah, like the and the online fan poll stuff, as we all know, like online fan polls or any online poll, it's really easy. Like I, I read some of the questions to you guys earlier. One of the questions is like, do you want more or less bunker? And it's like, well, even if you like the bunker like I do, I want less bunker. It doesn't mean anything. Yes. Do you want $100 <laughs> today or $5,000 a year from now? Ooh. Ooh. Well, I wonder what I'd pick. <laughs> $100 God, can buy many yeah. peanuts. It's completely asinine. I, although I would be on board with whoever wins the most overrated player thing in that poll every year, having to then wear a jersey that says "overrated" on it. <laughs> a zero, a zero jersey instead of a instead of a number. Now there we go. Now yeah, these look. are some practical ideas that could bring the game forward. And we are podcasting yeah. on the internet, therefore the NRL will listen. Yeah, and I mean, and in this poll, this poll, by the way, the NRL one last year doesn't even mention the one referee one, so I don't even know where he pulled that from. But they do their poll every year. The one last year, some of the other things that did get up heavily were adding a new team in a new location, and Perth won that by a distance, thirty-one percent. Only ten percent of fans voted for Brisbane, but apparently that doesn't matter when they're talking about it because you know, or someone else's agenda wants another team in Brisbane. That's the broadcasters; they matter more. It matters then, you know. Oh, should we see introduction of an NRL of a transfer window? Overwhelmingly, yes. Only 20% said no to that one, you know. Uh, do we want the match review committee and judiciary process to change? 77% of people said, yes, change that. That's not changed. You know, like a million different things. Should the rep, should the, should the Simbian news be used more? Yes, it, it should. We've ignored that too because, you know, it doesn't fit the agenda of people who don't like the Simbian. <laughs> like, whatever. A ridiculous process. Yeah, none of it really makes you, any sense to me. As you said, decisions by committee is... Like, that's, that's what people at the NRL are employed to do. And whether you think that the NRL spends too much money on its own staff or not, like, in reality, the game has never been in a better place, arguably with the on-field product at the moment. Um, and just feel like it's, it's, it really is, it, it does well, at least it feels like, we haven't seen this in practice yet, but it really feels like just moving the deck chairs on the Titanic. Like, I mean, these are pointless changes yeah um and whether they even last the whole season or not we won't really know but the problem with what you just said even though it's completely correct is that the the people that think that this is a good idea and the people that think that a lot of these terrible ideas are good ideas 
are the people who don't think the game is in a good state and are the yeah. people who think the game was better in the 80s when it just demonstrated like, it just clearly wasn't and it's also like, like the, the the loudest you know the squeaky wheel gets the oil yeah i mean the yes exactly right but like no the uh, the the game was perfectly fine the way it was i think i mean yeah i'm sure we all have issues with the wrestle from time to time but mm. this is not a solution that i think anyone is going to be a fan of and I might add that, like, if you want to get rid of the wrestle, having less on-field officials to scrutinize the ruck is going to hurt that, not help it. Mm, I, yeah. I think we we had the same discussion last uh, last podcast talking about how uh, the the game, the speed of the game, is dictated by officialdom, whereas everywhere in in almost every other sport, it's it's dictated by officials, the players. Uh, by the players rather. Like if you think about rugby union, for example, the speed of a ruck in rugby union is determined not by the not by the referee, but how quickly the ball can get out of the ruck. Whereas, as was mentioned here, we're talking about like a maximum ruck speed of like what, like six seconds, is the slowest ruck you'll see. It's not like players are being held on the ground for ten, fifteen, twenty seconds at a time. Like the average ruck speed in a normal game is between like what three and a half and four and a half seconds in most games. Mm-hmm. So, like. It, it the statistics just don't back up the fact that the ruck is too slow. It doesn't make any sense to therefore try and speed those rucks up by eradicating the people that make the rucks go faster. It's like trying to it's like saying, "Oh, I I drive a two wheel a two wheel drive car. It doesn't go fast enough. I'm going to remove two wheels to try and get rid of some weight." <laughs> so now you have a now you have a, a, a soapbox derby racer, and you have no engine. So, it's lighter. That's good. Yeah, but, but yeah. then you could transfer those skills into becoming the brakes on the Jamaican bobsled team. So that is true. And how well did that go for them? Like, I don't know. Be out of it. <laughs> yeah, they really did take some liberties, truth wise, which I didn't realize until I rewatched it a couple of weeks ago. Disappointing. Mm. Mm. Looking forward to cool, yep. cool, cool runnings, the rugby league edition. Where... <laughs> yeah. Matt Matt Checken and Henry Perinara are in a bobsled. Yeah, and, and that's it though, Dale. Like I, I mentioned, I actually don't give a shit if it's one or two referees because I don't focus on it. I'm not whinging at the wrestle every week or the speed or whatever. I just enjoy the game when the officials are a part of that game. Yeah. But that's it. They're not solving that question they're being said to solve, one referee. It might change some other things, but it's not bringing faster rucks. And this other six again thing that I really want to talk about. Now, the other six again rule, and they brought it in and now they've defined a bit more. It's up to the referee's discretion to either call six again or award the penalty for ruck infringements. So for consistent infringements, they could award a full penalty or call six again. But I, I feel like you're putting more pressure on the official there by making it their decision than you are if you, if, you, if it was the player's decision. Like, you know, why does the referee get to decide if I want if I want to kick to touch or, or take a shot at goal? Yeah, why is it the referee's call? Works? Because, like, can you just, if they give you the six again from, like, 40 metres out, can you just stop and say no? Well, they said it's the referee's call, so he right. can either say six again or penalty. But that's, as you said, that's Jesus stupid. Like, the, re- the referee doesn't know if you want to take a shot at goal if you get a penalty forty out. You could be nil all after twenty minutes. So you might want that, and it's it's not your option. That's terrible. And I, I mean, I just don't understand the logic behind it because presume like the 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 what they said was that it's it's to so if teams have got a roll on and someone slows them down, it's that that roll on keeps going. But presumably. The other team gave away the penalty to stop the roll-on. So it seems kind of pointless in that regard. And then if you throw on top of the fact that if you kick for touch, you get six again anyway. So, And you're 30 metres further down the field. I, th- I don't understand any of it 
whatsoever. The only time it could possibly be a good idea is if you're in the attacking 10 or 20 and you don't want to kick a penalty goal. That's it. That's literally it. Yeah, they they say it so the t- other team is doesn't get the break, you know, because usually the penalty is a way to earn that break. You say, mm. but it, you know, it's still the hold down and the sixty end call is still going to earn that break anyway. Usually, it's enough. They want to break long enough so someone gets back in the defensive line or similar. You know, yeah, could only be another fight. That's still going to be there. It's yeah, the one referee thing. I'm not like obviously I don't agree with it, but I'm with you. I don't particularly care that much. But this this other this rule change is absolutely ridiculous, and it could be potentially one of the like. Re- more, more disruptive things, most disruptive things, I'm sorry, to really be introduced into the game in the last few years. Well, mate, you just yeah, wait till like, your team's thing. down with, say, 10 to go, and then the referee gives you a six again call. You could have been down by two and, you know, 40 out and he gives you six again. And you might think it means nothing. There's 10 minutes left. But if you lose by two points then, yeah, fans exactly. are going to be fucking fuming. Or even in the first, <laughs> like, you can, and what, you don't think fans will apply that exact same logic if there's a penalty halfway through the first half and they end up losing a game by two? Of course they yeah. will. And they sh- and they're being their rights to. I did see a funny tweet before we started recording where someone said, let's look at the halftime stats. It's nil all and the penalties are nil all, but the Storm have conceded 35-6 against. And that's what's going to happen. Like, I-, I just don't see the point. I just think it's a terrible idea and it's going to end up costing teams games. It, that's the one that's like, it makes it feel like they're trying to achieve a touch your old tag out of the game. If you want to keep rolling quickly as possible, well, if you want it to be uh, touch or tag, watch fucking touch or tag. This is rugby league. Like, stop. That, that's one of the things. Like, it's just not what the game is. No. Consecutive sets, rolling, rolling, rolling. There's a reason why there's fucking six tackles. Yeah. Tell, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but surely a better solution if they wanted to stop teams giving away deliberate penalties would be the solution that we've discussed on here several times, which would be if that player gives away a penalty in their own red zone, in the ruck, they're off the field until the next change of possession. That's it, mate. Like, I, yeah, I just don't get what they're trying to achieve, the rule changes. And I can get behind rule changes if there's good process. And I refuse to believe anybody tells you there's good process on these ones because even on both these rule changes, everybody, all in sundry rugby league, players, coaches, community, blew up about them when they got leaked three or four days ago. And they still yeah. happen. Well, this is the thing. Like, sometimes when rules come in, there's like, we hear about them like maybe a season in advance or at least a few months or weeks in advance. I'd, lit- I'd legitimately never heard of this suggestion a week ago. Yeah. They, they trolled in an Indigenous All-Stars game like a decade ago and it sucked. The six again, what a shock. And they, they're doing it. But that's again, mm-hmm. good process is trialing these things. You should, if you want to trial this NRL level, you don't trial at NRL level, you trial it at New South Wales Rugby League level or QRL level. But Peter Landis has taken like this, this you know, coronavirus pandemic as a way of just pushing in all the things in the back of his mind as soon as possible. Because he mentioned this one referee thing when he came in like like last October. You know, he's wanted this and he just uses any excuse to push everything he wants in right now. And then the rumor is he's going to walk away from the game soon anyway. So he's going to walk away from the scrutiny. He's going to come in, change the, fa- like change the referees, change the six again call. Probably both go back, by the way, if they go terribly. But change those, change the broadcast deal, and then walk away and then leave the scrutiny behind and someone else to deal with it. It's cowards move all around. Like Leonard Nimoy on the monorail. <laughs> <laughs> My work here is done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's just Alrighty. so comically stupid. I just can't. How good is, uh, how good is footy? Love, uh, love uh, footy. I mean, obviously, I'm still stoked that rugby league's coming back, but bloody hell, I just. I just think this this is such. I just who is this for? Fuck. 
<laughs> the fans. The fans who will keep complaining. The person who complains about the two referees is going to be the same person who finds things to complain about anyway. You stop trying to satisfy those people. People are idiots. Like, remember that um, Uate try where he dropped the ball and they didn't check it? Yes. And then there was outrage? It's like, well, yes. you blow up when they use the bunker too much, but then they miss a call because they didn't use the bunker and you blow up. So how good's that going to go with, with one referee when like there's way more sort of lost balls that are called as strips in the ruck or way more strips that are called as lost balls because there's only one guy watching instead of two? I don't know. And, you know, we've still got the bloody captain's challenge. <laughs> Can you captain's uh, challenge, challenge a six again? That's just I been forgotten. That's a I rule that... I completely thing. forgot about the captain's challenge. Well, that's oh good. Right? Mate, I forgot about it because it didn't work. Like, I saw, like... In, round, in, like, the first two rounds, I saw, like, five legitimate challenges just get ignored. <laughs> it was, like, what is the point of this? I yeah. don't know. What's the point of anything? And uh, I know that's it, mate. And the captain's challenge, as you said, mate, it all it was proved referees are doing a good job because they were all wrong, but whatever. The one way to win me back, though, if he goes, if he supports online polls and brings a shoulder charge back, I'm changing all this. I don't care. <laughs> we'll have to delete the episode off. We'll have to delete the episode off the server. And, and re- Actually, I mean, no. All of these online polls are fantastic. If, if the poll had just been one question, should they let the boys play? Yes, would have won yes. with an overwhelming majority. Campo just brigading the poll with a trillion <laughs> votes of yes. Uh, I, uh, it's just so stupid. Uh, it'd be funny. Let the fans decide which team to kick out, and they just kick out the storm or something. Fantastic. Oh, God. Oh, okay. do, do you want to talk about any other news topics? It is like, you know, Nathan Cleary is still a douchebag. Yeah. I guess that's not um, news. Anything news, else you want to talk about? Uh, I just. Uh, I I hope James Roberts is doing okay. Yeah, yeah. that's it, mate. We covered. We covered. I mean, we, we don't like to the, really uh, delve into the oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Obviously, really sad stuff. Um, no, I can't really think of anything else. Um, yeah, I got nothing. Good stuff. That's good. Good chat. Uh, just before we go on to section two of this podcast, just want to give a shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much for supporting us. Uh, we'll give you a shout out. Uh, Alex, Sir Giacomi, Bert Andrews, Chris Abnor, Dan Cullinane, the great man Dave, Dee Fisher, Jason, Carlo Tyson, uh, Matthew McPherson, Roxanne Clark, Scott Finlayson, Simon Alley, Tig, uh, Tom Hardy, Warwick Ahern, or Wayne Ritchie. If you want to get behind us, head to patreon.com slash NRL Boom Rookies. Pledge your support. And thank you for, for supporting, the, uh, supporting the boys. Supporting we, the boys. we love you all very much. Yes. Uh, speaking of let the boys play, is it time? Is it time? Is it, is it time to te- let the boys tell some stories? I think it is. It is. Well, story time was such a big hit last week. Everyone thoroughly enjoyed it, so we're bringing it back for round two. Obviously, rugby league has a million stories to tell, and only and there's only so many that can be told each week. So, we, I mean, uh, yeah, we've we've got I, I think another half dozen brief forays into the wacky world of rugby league uh, coming at you guys again this week. So, who'd like to start? Uh, I'll kick it off. Yeah, go on. Uh, I would like to talk about South. Interesting. I'm, I'm intrigued. New for this podcast. Very new for this podcast. <laughs> uh, so the Grand Old Club, obviously, were, <laughs> were kicked out of the uh, were kicked out of the league. The People's Team, as I believe they were once known, the pride of the league, mate. Uh, 
glory and guts and shit. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> God, hang on. I need a drink. Cardinal, myrtle, things of that nature. There's a beer. Uh, alrighty. It's story time. All right. So the 2002 Charity Shield. South's first game after reinstatement. I was there. You most certainly were. And good for you. Well, Thank well, you. Well deserved. Uh, the Dragons that year were very good. Souths were not. Uh, a Dragons team that featured Luke Bailey, Trent Barrett, Nathan Blacklock, Mark Gasnier, Brent Kite, Jason Riles, Sean Timmons, Lance Thompson, uh, Amos Roberts, uh, eventually Ben Hornby, shitloads of other good players, uh, lined up against Souths, who had Owen Craigie. Uh, and they were, this was their first game playing back together um, after obviously being out of the competition. So they were not, not necessarily a team full of battlers. There were some, some decent, decent enough players there. No, they were, they very no, much they, were. I mean, but they were, they were cobbled together, but they weren't like, it, it wasn't a, a wholly awful team. Like there were some players there who had, played oh, finals, but they had played, like they played finals before. That's true. They would go on to, to make rep you know, make rep um, teams, et cetera, et cetera. But it was a very young team. There was, I believe, one rep player in that team at that point. It was very was that, young. And that was, that was, that was Adam Muir, right? Uh, uh, Muir was, yeah, I think he was captain Paul Stringer as well. He was. Adam Muir was captain uh, in reinstatement. Paul Stringer yeah. went on to play country origin, country I believe, origin. but I don't yeah. think he had at that point. Um, but as I said, there, there were a lot of 20... 19, 20, 21-year-olds playing in that team um, on, the, on the night. Um, obviously, it was a trial, as all Charity Shield games are, but it wasn't really, was it? I mean, I mean, this was this was peak, this this peak, peak South treating it like a grand final, basically. Yeah. Um, so it was played at the footy stadium, as most of these games were, uh, the Charity Shield games were up until that point. They were either played at the footy stadium or the cricket ground. Um Souths had actually Souths actually won the last um, Charity Shield in '99 before they were kicked out, 16 to 14 at the cricket ground. As I said, there were 36,804 people at this match uh, at Aussie Stadium, the biggest crowd that Souths played in front of that season, or have played, or has been to a Charity Shield before or since. So this was yeah. In reality, by, by miles as well, right? By yeah, like 10,000 or something. Yeah. The next biggest crowd after this was 1998, which was 28,000 at the footy stadium as well. Wow. And as I said, this was this was South's first game back. So they lined up with 15 traffic cones, Owen Craigie and, and Muir, as you said. <laughs> um, so to get things started, uh, the Dragons go down the, fir- go, go down the other end. About 45 seconds, South, if I remember correctly, have made an error. And the dragons are on the attack, and as we as we mentioned before, uh, we came on air. One of the worst play the balls that you will ever see by I believe uh, Lee Hooky, uh, just like drops the ball forward into his own, like forward into the marker, and then like rakes it back into his own leg, and then has to rake it back again. And the referee, single referee back in those days, just says, "Just play the ball cleanly." Now he did not do either of those things, but. You know, we move on. Souths and the Dragons both dropped the ball an absolute shitload in the first half, to the point where the first try score the first try scored by a young Brent Kite with nine minutes to play in the first half, off a grubber from Jason Riles, who is a starting prop, five meters from the Souths line. 
So Kite goes in to score. Dragons convert. Mark Riddell does the old Nazi salute, which goes down a treat with the Dragon Army, uh, as we all know. The Dragons score again in the on the well, not in the left corner, but they have a breakaway down the blind side through, and Hooky scores on the left, and Souths score just before half time, if I remember correctly. They had a try disallowed, which was fair enough. Um, I can't remember who put his foot into touch, but he put his foot into touch and it was a knock-on as well. Uh, so there was that. But, yeah, as I said, they go in, I think, 12-6 at halftime. Uh, the Dragons score another two tries. Well, in the start of the first half. Sorry, start of the second half through Nathan Blacklock and Lance Thompson. And it's, you know, backs against the wall for Souths at this point. So, as you said, Souths were treating this like a grand final. Like, I don't think that's too much of it. You you wouldn't say that was too much of an overst- overstatement? No, like, not at all. I mean, I, I ge- I, I'm saying this as a fan. Like, genuinely, this this was a big deal, especially in those, in the early half of the 2000s, just because, like, I knew we were shit and we weren't going to make the finals in a year. So, like, it was it was genuinely one of the, the most exciting days of the year as a Souths fan. Mm. As I said, it was 12-4 at halftime. Lance Thompson scores. Uh, yeah, Lance Thompson scores in uh, the 51st minute from dummy half. Uh, Nathan Blacklock scores. It's 20-16. to 16. And then uh, Owen Craigie does Owen Craigie shit. And then it's 20 to 16 in the 61st minute, right? The Dragons are absolutely packing it at this point, And they are legit throwing this game away against people who have never met before and have never played footy before. So there's what, like probably a minute and a half left to go. And the Dragons are absolutely cooked at this point. Souths have got the roll on. The Souths chant is going up. There's like 40,000 people at the game. And the Dragons are bunched in the middle. Souths see an opportunity. They go right and they score in the corner and the place goes off. It's 20 all. Yep, it did. And it I'm, was, as, as the kids say, lit. Well, uh, I mean, it's unfortunate what happened next. Obviously, they didn't get to win outright. but No, they, they did not. They did their best. And that's the most important thing. It's very Souths. Wait a bit. <laughs> it, uh, it was very Souths cheering a draw in a trial game like it was a grand final win. But that's what those that's what those years were. Uh, Scott McLean was the player who scored in the right hand corner. I, I believe he missed the conversion as well, if I'm not mistaken. So Scott McLean is playing in jersey number twenty three at this point. He's played for I think Western Suburbs and North Sydney prior to this. Could be wrong. Yeah, I think that sounds right. Played, I think did he play? Definitely for, played for yeah. Northern Eagles. Northern Eagles. Northern, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he played for he played Reggie's, uh, and obviously he played for Norths and for the Eagles. He's, I think he's like twenty one, at this point. It's forty thousand people screaming, as I said. He's wearing a New South Wales Cup jersey, because they didn't have twenty three on the back of the NRL jerseys, and he hits this he hits this conversion right out on the right-hand edge, and he misses it. It fades away to the left. Okay. So there's 14 seconds, like there's 40 seconds to play. Dragons kick off, Mark Riddell, and he kicks the ball out on the full. Not the best move. So 
instead of taking the two, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Souths take a quick tap and they throw the ball to reserve grade, uh, sorry, reserve Jamie Fitzgerald, I believe, who had played off the bench as a, as a you know, half or a hooker or anything like that, to try and take a 50-metre field goal with Good. no preparation or run-up, and he kicks it about 30 metres. I think you got Blacklock, <laughs> I think Blacklock catches it and then basically gets tackled at like 30 metres out and the game's over. Yeah. And South, was... retain, and South retained the charity shield, the only, the only trophy that they had won in the preceding like 40 years. Uh, excuse me, won the minor premiership in 1989. Thank you very much. Uh, that is true, but I don't think you got a trophy for that at that point. I actually uh, don't know. Good question. But as I said, that was the 2002 Charity Shield, a game that will go down in history as the most lit Charity Shield. You've, you've buried the lead here, though, my friend, which is that mm. Gus Gould ran the line. Oh, I didn't want to mention Gus Gould. <laughs> he gets enough time. It was uh, Gus Gould was in full kit as a lino, and there was a fight like halfway through the second half, I think, and he had to run on to like give his opinion of what was going on and he's legit like <laughs> and he smi- didn't see anything. And he legit smiling at the players who have just had a blue and he comes on and the ref the ref asks the far touchy what he saw and he gives him, you know, a fairly good eyewitness account. Gus is and then the ref asks Gus and Gus is like, Yeah, didn't see anything, mate. Play on. And then Gus Yeah, that's that's back. what I believe Gus he said something like, Oh, I didn't I didn't see what happened. I just wanted to run on. Yeah. <laughs> like- and then Gus trots back to the 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 grandstand side, like the the TV side, and he's like waving to the crowd with both hands with his flag up, and I'm like, oh my god, that was actually the, right in front of me and Pop. That's where we were sitting. So was, was a crazy thing. Anyway, the 2002 Charity Shield. Yeah, a thoroughly enjoyable game in an era where Souths took trial games far more seriously than they do now, and took significantly yeah. more L's. Uh, a good quote from the from Big League that year, by the way. They legitimately journalists legitimately wrote down that it was the greatest kickstart to a season rugby league has ever had. That like you know, it's hard to think of Charity Shield meaning that much, but I remember Charity Shields actually meaning something when South came back. Yeah, actually started the year and for a couple of years after that as well. I just can't, I can't pinpoint the exact year. It probably started dying down a little bit. I remember I used to go every year as well, and then after a few years, I was kind of just like, eh. It, it is Not amazing really. to think that like that that game, and I know that, like forty k was obviously a big. A big crowd for South. They were still playing games at Moore Park at that point, but like that, that forty yeah. k crowd was considered a bigger like kickstart to the game than. Remember, we had a double header with well, one hundred and ten thousand people what, there. Yeah, but what's interesting is looking at the just like the list of the games on here. So from like from two thousand and two to two thousand and twelve, the game got over twenty thousand at least every year, apart from once where it got nineteen thousand two hundred and sixty seven. Yeah, and then every year since then, sorry, and in twenty thirteen, or count twenty thirteen as well, because nineteen thousand six hundred thirty, so twenty thousand every year between two thousand two and two thousand thirteen. But then in the in the four years after that, fourteen thousand, sixteen thousand, thirteen thousand, twelve thousand, and then it got moved to Mudgee the last uh, three years. So, yeah. and it's become very much an afterthought since moving out of out of Sydney, which is a shame because as you, as as we said, it used to be sort of like the opening event of the rugby league season in a lot of ways and it just doesn't yeah. have that gravitas anymore i'm not really sure why that is but it is i mean we've got the, we've got like the nines now and trials yeah, well, aren't that's taken as, as seriously because like i think also because with the nines 
Like it's all televised. And how long's the line's been going on for now? Like four, four years, four years maybe. Um, but like all these, all these trial games are televised now. Like the start of this season, there were so many games televised, whether they were streamed on KO or like on club websites. Whereas the Charity Shield was one of the only, from memory, one of the only like big televised trial games. It was at a big stadium. And like, as you said, it meant something. Like these were two storied clubs, um, the two most successful clubs in, in rugby league, well, New South Wales rugby league history. Yeah. And like they hated each other. But now yeah. as we kind of, specifically since it's been moved in the last few years, but you know, we now have so much opportunity to watch so much footy, especially even before the season starts. Now it's just kind of like, oh, cool, we'll get like a cool jersey and we'll take the club to Mudgee and we'll do some community engagement. It's not considered, I don't think, by even as a Saints fan. Like, No, we, yeah, totally. I we haven't won the Charity Shield since 2012 and I could not give less of a shit. No, nor should you. Yeah, One, one player from... Um, interesting little bit of trivia that no one except me will care about. There was only one player who played in South's last game in 1999, who played for them again in the Charity Shield in 2002, and that was uh, bench forward and Irish international, Paul McNicholas. Oh, there you go. And Lee Hookie was, uh, he scored for Souths in the 99 version and then scored for the Dragons in 2002. Uh, that's, a, that's a fun one. He, of course, went on to play for Souths again after that. Uh, didn't go very well, as yeah. as as was the style at the time with everyone yeah. South side. <laughs> as most as most things, yeah. We've we when South came back into the into the comp, they didn't like they just went out and bought players, didn't they? They didn't have like a dispersal. No. So what happened was players. it was basically. I mean, this could be a story time in itself because it's so comical. But basically, George Piggins uh, enlisted Phil Gould to help him put a roster together. Um, the, there's a famous story. It never got confirmed who it was, but most rumours say it was Luke Prittis, who, of course, would then go on a year later to have the best performance in a grand final by any player ever. Uh, apparently, he was keen to come to Souths for, I think, it was a fair whack of money at the time, 250 grand a year or something, and George Piggins said, no, that's too much. Players who just want to play for Souths. And that was that, and that was how that was how the club worked at the time. Crazy crazy to me that a quarter of our members still voted to not privatise in 2006, but hey. <laughs> Is that a decision-making poll we're talking about there? <laughs> well, see, that one I'm in favour of because it, it kind of worked out okay. It did. It did. I mean, as you said, I actually do think, um, not even a story time, I think once we get back into our regular roster, we really should do a podcast, you know, spend an hour talking about South Ranchery in terms of its uh, impact on yourself and the stories around it because obviously you've got plenty of good chin wags there that I think it's, you know, as we mentioned to see this Charity Shield thing, it, it it's people kind of forgotten the impact it had on the game South coming back, but it was huge. Yeah, I mean those. I even if it was Souths who got kicked out again, like now, I can't imagine a hundred thousand people marching in the streets for them. I just no, think we're yeah. a bit. We just society in general is a bit more apathetic now than it was then. I don't Especially know. in Sydney, like Sydney doesn't. Yeah, have true. Not at all. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, anyway, um, that was a good story, Dale. I've got one. If that's if that's okay with you guys. Um, sure, mm-hmm. sure can. So I've got, um, I think this one's probably the weaker of my two this week, but it's probably the most timely story that we could have. And it's pretty funny that I started writing this basically a few hours before I found out about the refereeing stuff. But um, yeah, so this was actually a suggestion from a listener, RCB Sharks, who got in touch with me on Twitter, sent me a message and said, hey, you should do a story time about uh, the day the crackdown died in 2018. 
<laughs> I said that's a great. I said that's a great idea. So rugby league went through an interesting period at the start of the 2018 season. So penalties went through the roof as a result of a crackdown on wrestling and other ruck infringements. Um, as a result, teams like the Warriors, Penrith, and the Dragons, who were actually throwing the ball around quite a lot, were getting quick play of the balls and were flying after the opening few rounds uh, at the top of the table. Um, but it didn't take long for the winds of change to start blowing. Uh, after just three rounds, there was already substantial pressure from media and some coaches alike. Um, Andrew Johns accused the referees, Matt Checken and Alan Shortle, of destroying the game during Channel 9's halftime show in a, 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 with 12 penalties blown in the first half of a Storm Cowboys game. Um, weirdly, Shane Flanagan, of all people, actually said that there hadn't been any games that stood out one from the other and said that as long as they're consistent and stay with it right through the year, I think we all know the rules and what they're after. Coaches were notified what they're looking at, and they've addressed the play of the ball. I think most sides have been pretty good in that area. Uh, jumping early inside the 10 is another one, or giving away penalties inside your own 10 is another one. So they've been really consistent. I don't expect anything different. And as long as they stick it, stick to it, I'll be happy. Pretty reasonable from a guy who's known for a ref spray every now and again. Um, and it would be his team that would be involved in what many people point as the catalyst for basically the end of this penalty crackdown and sort of a return to the wrestle. Um so, just a couple of hours after 24 penalties were blown in the Rabbitohs Bulldogs Good Friday game, uh, 33 were blown in a Storm Sharks uh, <laughs> uh, round four clash uh, at uh, at Shark Park. Um, this, of just course, to, just the, to reiterate, this wasn't a Stormers Sharks rugby union game. No, it was a not. National that would rugby work actually. No, no, this was game um, in 2018. Yeah, so basically, uh, obviously, most of this was greeted with booze from the crowd, except, of course, when Cameron Smith was sent to the Sinbin for the first time in his career. The Storm conceded an NRL record 19 penalties, eclipsing the 18 they themselves won against the Tigers two weeks prior. <laughs> and Cameron Smith, as I said, was Sinbin, which the fans at 5G Coronavirus Stadium love. Um, uh, uh, you have to remember as well, like, they made shirts that said, I was there when Cam Smith was Sinbin. Which is just great. I mean, it is quite funny. And look, I've always loved Cam Smith, but I get why fans hate him. And I, I, I can imagine that, that this this would have been a really big moment in a lot of people's lives. Definitely for Sharks fans. They haven't really had a lot to cry about. Well, just about. Blues fans and people that hate Cam Smith in general. But um, yeah. so, you know, this game rolls through. Sharks end up winning 14-4, to but the penalties is really what overhangs from the match. And Cam Smith even pontificated afterwards that... um. The high penalty counts could affect Origin, which kicked off uh, just a few just a few weeks after this game took place. He said some people are asking for the refs to clean up the game, and then when there are all these penalties, they're whinging about the spectacle of the game. Which one is it? Do you want to clean up the game or do you want less penalties? There can't be both, which is a pretty pretty good point. Um, Paul Gallon actually, Cam, who knew that Cam Smith would have a good opinion after playing well, 400 games of rugby league. Yes, and then right on cue, Paul Gallon said they're picking everything up. There's no flow to the game at the moment. That's just the way it is. Oh God. Yeah, so the game was uh, the game. This game was the blood in the water, and the knives were out. There was one headline afterwards that read, "What a refing mess!" Another one saying, "Game falling on ref ears." I mean, those and are both good headlines. In fairness, they're great headlines. Let's not get it twisted. Shout out to the subs who wrote those. But good job. I've often said that no sport has a worse relationship with their officials than rugby league, and that was never more true than in the first few weeks of 2018. So uh, everyone remembers this because it wasn't that long ago. After whinging about the Storm and Manly and etc. ruining the game with the wrestler in the late 2000s, the same idiot fans and certain people in the media were now whinging that the referees were calling too many penalties. Um, your, your man, Paul McGregor, had a refreshing take where he said, you can make sure you're not offside, can't you? Don't take another step. 
where an anonymous, another anonymous coach said, when you're defending your line, it's not that hard. Put your foot on the line. And at first, after this game, it seemed as though Todd Greenberg and Respos Tony Archer would stick to their guns. But as the season went on, the penalty stopped and the rock slowed down. Um, after the first quarter of the season, boys, the Roosters were sixth and the Storm were fifth. Uh, that wheel quickly began to turn. And by the end of the season, the two teams, most vilified by fans for their dark arts on the field, finished first and second on the ladder and ended up meeting in the grand final. Fantastic. Was this the worst thing to ever happen on Good Friday? I don't know. Maybe. I can't think of anything worse that's ever happened on Good Friday to anyone ever. <laughs> Jesus, oh, Adam God. Reynolds, somebody getting, I don't know. And, and, I, and I do think, by the way, I do think that the fans actually voted in favour of the crackdown when it was happening still on NRL.com and it still got taken away. I believe they did. I think I do remember that. Because it, it's difficult to argue the alternative when you really boil it down. It's like, should the referees give penalties when a team is cheating? No. Wait, shit. Yes. Yes, they should. Am I doing okay? Now they should just, no, no, the answer is they should give six agains. Oh, 27 yeah. of those a game or whatever. Oh, man. This game would have had about 56 agains. It would have been something to watch. I imagine, um, but, but yeah. like, how good would the flow have been? Oh, the flow, mate. The flow. Chad, look, Chad Townsend's hair would have only been the second best flow on the field. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> That's it, mate. It's early 2000 M&M flow. That's what it would have been, mate. It would have been just oh, skipping God. beats. Or, you know, rhyming words with words that don't make any sense. Great that, that, is, that is that is pretty good for. I mean, peak peak two thousands Eminem and twenty eighteen Shark Park. Are, I'm fairly sure one and the same thing. <laughs> Horrendously white and lost in their history. Anyway, that's it. Oh god. Okay, your, you, but, your um, turn, young Mitch. Speaking of rap names, I have I have a really long one, and I think I might go short first, and then end with the long one because I've got a long oh, one okay. about the um. The long one is about the 2000 Rugby League World Cup in Russia. And, you know, by two passions, the Rugby League World Cups in Russia. So I'll get to that one next. My first one is also fan submitted who wanted to remain remain anonymous. And I don't like giving this man airtime because I despise this human. But Paul Gallen, book excerpt that I do enjoy. (laughs) Um, We're going to his book that, of course, I wouldn't have read. I've only got an illegal scan of two pages (laughs) as I do it. But anyway... We're going to the part where we talk about the 2016 Premiership, but more so about the 2016 Newcastle Knights side. So I'll just read the excerpt from the book. And uh, just just to clarify, uh, Knights fans, they thought that we were their friends. How wrong they were. But look, I sat there through that whole 2001 podcast on mute yep. and didn't bang Andrew Jones. <laughs> you did. <laughs> didn't say anything. Have we just been Dennis systeming the Knights fans? We yes. Have dead set. We have, this is here. the long con, and now we go, off, we go on the long run. Okay, so I won't read the whole two pages, but I'll start here. So Gallant says, although our 62 nil thrashing of the Newcastle Knights in round 10 was our biggest winning margin of 2016 and the fourth biggest in the club's history, I disagree with many of our supporters that this proved we were premiership material. I actually felt sorry for the Newcastle players and fans that day. If I'm being truthful, I felt sorry for Newcastle that entire season. The 2016 Knights were the worst first grade team I ever faced in my entire career. I remember playing for Australia against minnow teams such as the United States, and the Knights are even worse than them. Oh, come on. <laughs> it's good gear. Anyway, I only played about 30 minutes of our huge win over Newcastle, as my knee was still giving me grief. As soon as Val Holmes had scored his hat trick of tries after 26 minutes, Flano ordered me from the field. From the sideline, I could see that, although the opposition was vastly inferior, we were showing little mercy. As I said, I felt sorry for the Newcastle boys that day. After the game, I walked on the field to shake their hands and I felt like I was grabbing the hands of kids. 
I don't even know most of their names. It wasn't their fault. <laughs> I remember looking at Newcastle Saifidi twins in the forward pack. At just 19 years of age, they were bearing the load against our experienced and ruthless forward pack. I hoped it wouldn't scar them. Losing becomes a habit. I desperately hoped the repeated pummeling they were receiving wouldn't leave them questioning their motivation. They were two boys who should have been blood and enter along alongside seasoned first graders. In our team, they would have benefited immensely from playing four or five games with experienced players to assist their development. But at the Knights, they were front and centre. I gave every player from that 2016 Knights squad huge credit as they returned with a great attitude improved in 2017. But despite our huge win over Newcastle, I didn't feel like we achieved anything special. I had known from the preseason we had a quality squad, but I certainly didn't feel that in betting Newcastle by 60 points, we declared, look out, we're here. Yeah. I actually think that that point he makes about the Cyphedes is a really good one. And I, I do, it I wonder is. how much Knights fans wonder about the development of their players being stunted by the fact that they were surrounded by other developing players for a lot of that time. Yeah. I do think it's a great argument. I just enjoyed him banging them, calling them worse than the United States. That's the best part. <laughs> like, come on. Wait. Well, then where's Junior Vivi's NRL contract? That's what I want to know. That's it. But th- I agree with that sentiment. We've, we've touched on it in the podcast in the past. Just um, that Knights team actually had some talented juniors in there that didn't go anywhere. And it might be because of that environment created at the time. Yeah. It's hard, it's hard to argue that. I mean, like, the, as you said, like the side feeders were playing their first, like they, they, they played like a full first season of NRL. And they were like... Just losing, just said, getting like, smashed every week. Just getting yeah. absolutely pumped. But like, it, it's hard when you're in a position like that, as he says, to, to turn to another child, you know? Like, and, and really, they like they were kids. Like, they were 18 and 19 at that point, And they were playing against players who had 150, 200 games of first grade experience. And they just got shot on every week. Like, man. Well, that, again, another good thing that would become good to come back to and... Uh, visited another the Newcastle Knights 30 for 30 where it all went that's wrong that's it Matt and, and I do know that Sharks team obviously one of the teams that did lick their lips at the chance of pounding that Knights side they, they took it seriously and pounded them and I do know and I'm not going to say players names or anything but I do know there was a player who tried to fake injury and pull out of playing the, playing against the Sharks in that streak so you can probably see the attitude of one of those places I remember being at work uh, on it was a game they played. It might have been the game that they got beat, like fifty-four to six or something like that. But I remember being at work on a Sunday, and the game was in Newcastle, and like we were dead set taking bets on where the line would be for points scored, and no one took under fifty. And I was like, Harry, Harry probably would have been down his end, but I remember just looking back and seeing Harry in probably in his Knights hat. Man loves a hat. Um, and just being like, what is like? I can't imagine what that's like having to watch yeah. my team get bullied. And it, but it was like it was only by the Sharks. They got beat pretty heavily by other teams. But I remember thinking, ah, oh, the Knights playing the Sharks is a four o'clock game today. But, well, I'm going to get some work done because that game's going to be over in about twelve minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I think Val, Val Holmes scored four tries or something in one game, and they were just like legitimately taking the piss. I was like, man, well, that's, I mean, that's not fun. you just look at some of the scores. Like, obviously, that year had the piss tape Milford field goal as well. But there was a there was a four week stretch where if you take out a twenty six to ten loss to Manly, their other three results were fifty three nil, thirty eight nil, and sixty two nil. Like that is just a demoralizing month of rugby yeah, league. It's tough. 
that's tough. It's not a good, not what, a good way to play the game. The poor old West Tigers, by the way. Like they were the team in in two thousand and three. South won three games. Two of them were against the West Tigers, and this year the Knights won one game, and it was against yeah. the West Tigers. That was the like, nineteen, like nineteen eighteen or something. It was eighteen sixteen, and it was the game where um they, they only won because there was a second ball on the field. <laughs> if you remember, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was the, it was the game where a young MB heroically tipped the Knights to win in this tipping comp where you had to pick one game per week, but you had to tip one team. Uh, you, you had to, to tip, every, yeah. You had to pick every team at least once in the season, and this was the week that I tipped them, and they, they the Mad Men did it. Good Ended up losing the, by um, one game. Sore. Sore point. Um, but so that, that year Brown as well, by there. the way. Sorry. Sorry. There you yeah, go. Mate. Yeah, I was going to say that year as well. The Canberra Raiders who made the prelim and only didn't make the grand final thanks to Edric Lee where it took, went to Golden Point with that Knights team twice. Yeah. Through one oh, one the other. That's right. And then, and they <laughs> the Knights lost the Golden Point game because a ball bounced in a dead ball. Something weird yeah. happened. Yeah, yeah that's it right. Bounced yeah, yeah, near yeah. the dead ball line on its point and the Raiders scored under the post. That's it. And it was like 28-24 because the Knights Raiders winning, like, how to play footy. Wasn't it like double field goals as well? Weren't the Knights winning and then Canberra yeah. kicked a late field goal or something? And so. then, Yeah, I the don't know. The Knights were winning 22-6 at halftime in that game to lose 29-25. <laughs> <laughs> I love footy. Now that's funny. Um, but uh, Dale, Nathan Brown was involved in that team and he's also involved in your next story. He was. Uh, so Nathan Brown. A hero to many and a villain to most. Uh, the venue is Wollongong Stadium. The date is the 13th of April, the year of our Lord, 2003 more. Tenth place, St. George Illawarra Dragons are hosting Manly Warringah, who are back in the competition after what can only be described as an absolute clusterfuck with the Northern Eagles. Uh, they are. It's round five. It's pouring rain. So it's probably a shit day to be a Saints fan, as it was for, you know, many years. Uh, Nathan Brown's in his first year of a, as a head coach. He was uh, assistant under Andrew Farrow the year before, I think. And he was a trainer and, uh, and an assistant. He was, tra- he was actually running drinks for the Charity Shield, which I mentioned before in the, pre- in the uh, season prior. Uh, the Dragons are 1-2 and two to start the season with a bye. And uh, they have a fairly impressive team. They have a young Ben Hornby uh, Mark Gassner and Matt Cooper, Trent Barrett at 5'8", and a forward pack including Mark Riddell, Luke Bailey, Brent Kite, Lance Thompson. And Manly are 0-3 to start the season. And they lost 38-12 at home against the West Tigers in their last uh, last game. So it was a fairly even first half. As I said, it's pretty wet in Wollongong. You know, it's uh, it's not, a, not a fun place to be in the wet. They're 12-6 up at halftime. But the Dragons just cannot hold onto the ball. Another problem that has clouded this team for many a moon. Uh, they can't can't hold onto the ball. They've they've made a hell of a lot of errors. And then we get they go as I said they come out in the second half and they score to a, after twelve minutes. Matt Cooper goes into the on the left edge. So Mark Riddell's taking his kicker goal. He's out doing the salute thing again. Skulls over there, really loving his life. And Nathan Brown calls over to the side. Trent Barrett, who's the captain, Brett Furman, who's the halfback, and vice-captain Lance Thompson. God rest his soul. Brown is not pleased. Firstly, he's got a polo shirt tucked in the jeans. Criminal. Secondly, the team literally cannot hold the ball. They've only completed four of the last 11 sets. They just can't do anything with the pill. 
And as I said, they're, they're not looking great out there. It's not a, not a great place to be. He's, t- he's telling the players, you know, you've got to hold the ball, get to the end of the set, kick it away, and then chase it down there. He's gesticulating. He's mad. He's waving his arms around. Get into position, boys. Well, just give me one fucking kick. Yada, yada, yada. He's about halfway through this spray, and he, he points to Thompson and Furman, jabs him in the chest with a finger, and he slaps Barrett across the face. And Barrett kind of just just takes it. Like, he just, you know, he doesn't exactly wipe his face off. But, you know, he just kind of goes with it. He gets to the end of his point, and the players go to walk away, and Brown grabs Thompson and Barrett by the jerseys and pulls them back in for another go. And then he says, get out there, you know, give it the best. you got to get, you know, he tries to make his point, blah, blah, blah. But obviously they've, you know, you can't slap the captain in the face and think that it'll inspire people. So he sends the boys out there and you can hear in the background of the coverage, the, the crowd in Wollongong just like swelling, cheering for, you know, for Brownie. They're sick of seeing this team play like shit. Want them to get out there and give them a, you know, give them a show. And then it all falls apart. <laughs> so the Dragons, it's 12-all. Manly score four tries in 12 minutes. And they end up running out 38-12 to 12 winners. Uh, the Dragons get booed off the pitch, uh, which doesn't happen very often in Wollongong. Uh, and then obviously after the game, the questions start flowing. Brownie come, you know, comes to the press conference after the game. And he says he just he lost his call. He's a young coach. It's his first year coaching. It got the better of him. He said that in the sheds after the game, he'd had a heart to heart with Barrett. He'd apologised. He'd made his point clear. And he, he's, you know, he's like he it, re- relatively handled himself relatively well. Like he knew he'd done the wrong thing. He came out and apologised straight after the game. He obviously felt remorse, and he knew that you know he had to save face by apologising profusely. He did that. As I said, he said that the pressure had got to him. Later in the week, he you know he fronted the the NRL and uh, CEO at the time and uh, emotionless emotionless bamboo stalk David Gallup fined him five thousand dollars, a figure that was significantly reduced, obviously by Brown's <laughs> acceptance of remorse. You know, remorse, acceptance of uh, he was he was trite. He did, he said he'd done the wrong thing, um, but that was that was a an incident that really went around the world. Uh, according to uh, the late Beck Wilson's column in, I believe, the Herald at that point, uh, it was it was being reported on in the West Indies as Australia was over there uh, playing a test series uh, in Guyana, I believe, uh, said that it had made the local paper and that these players were reading about this as they prepared for a test match. Um, but, yeah, the next, the next season was... Uh, sorry, the rest of the season was quite interesting. Obviously, everything was Brown slapped with $15,000 fine or Dragons slapped 12 to blah, blah, blah <laughs> by the Roosters, as plain as the nose on your face, hit by fine, blah, blah, blah. Sub-editors were having a great time because they were still yeah. employed at that point. Um, but, yeah, the uh, the slap. Pro- I... not, necessarily, not necessarily the darkest moment in Dragons folklore, but... Definitely one of the most bizarre. 
it's quite funny because obviously everyone is familiar with what happened, but until you just told the story, I'd always just assumed that the slap had happened when they were like getting thrashed, not when the scores were level. And as a direct result of the slap, they went on to capitulate. So uh, after uh, immediately after that, because um, that was like shown on the big screen up on the hill at at uh, Wollongong. So everybody's seen this because. Like, Wollongong has some weird vantage points and there's only one screen. Everybody's seen this, including the Manly players. And Steve Menzies said after the, after the game, we saw, we saw what happened and we used that to be the boy. Say, look how cooked they are. You know, we're going to go on and win this game. And win this game they did. Like, they absolutely thrashed the Saints in the second half, like late in the second half. And the Dragons just capitulated. I don't think either team made the finals that year. Manly might have come second last because they were pretty pretty average. Um, they still had John Hopwadi, who was about forty five at that point. Um, but like neither of these teams were great. But you look back on the you look back at the footage, and I think a lot of a lot of rugby league fans and a lot of Saints fans specifically, it's not kind of like a where were you moment, but it's definitely a moment that I think every rugby league fan knows of. If not knows about, yeah. See, watching the footage oh, back sure. was kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. That was a, that was a thing that happened. And yeah, uh, well, the 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 interesting thing is, Manly were garbage that year. They finished second last, and the Dragons missed the finals by one game. So yeah, and they had a that pretty slap sta- might have cost them a finals appearance. Like they had a pretty stacked roster at that point as well. Um, I think that was the season that Blacklock left. Sorry, Blacklock left halfway through the season proceeding to go and play rugby. And we, the Saints, had... Uh, I can't remember who we had on the wing at that point. But Blacklock No, you were left. right. It was halfway through this season. Yeah, Blacklock left and then came back halfway through the next season because obviously he'd fallen out of love with rugby league, went to play for the Tars, and then just basically played club rugby. He he was Benji Marshall. He walked so, he, so Benji Marshall could run. Um, but... As I said, that was a pretty stacked team that yeah. went on to do nothing. And I'm not saying that it was Brianni's fault, but he did coach for five more seasons after that. Then obviously went to the Super League and then ruined Newcastle. Well, this so, was like this was like the peak of the Dragons being those perpetual underachievers with a really good team. And like every year they'd finish either just inside the eight or just outside the eight until they really put it together in the mid two thousands. And as you said, Brown got a few more years out of them. They they famously had that storming season in 2005, but they fell apart against the West Tigers in the prelim. They made another prelim the year after that. And then after another couple of mediocre years after that, uh, he was gone. And then Wayne Bennett took them to first, first and fifth in, in three years. Yeah. And uh, one other thing sitting down, uh, you might've mentioned it, but yeah, Brown was only 29 when he was coaching that team then. So it was kind of like, you know, he retired from neck injury two years earlier. So that kind of fiber and attitude with the other players is because, you know, probably hadn't stepped up to being a senior above them. He's kind of still like a part of the playing group despite being the coach. Yeah. But if many years later, Lance Thompson blamed the fans for egging him on. It was the fans' fault that um that Brownie slapped Trent Barrett. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> at, at the, oh, the, point that, just... the point that you make about his age, I just went and looked it up. If, as you said, Brown, Brown was... 29 at that point. He was only two years... Sorry, he was actually younger than some of the players on his roster. Quinton Pongi was 33. Mm. Uh, there was yeah, some... Lance, 
Lance Thompson was. Uh, oh no, no, he wasn't. He was. He wasn't. He was twenty-five. Sorry. Sean Timmons was twenty-seven. Nathan Blacklock was twenty-seven. John Cross was thirty-one. Like there were some some older blokes on that team. Henry Perinara. Hmm. Uh, but as I said, like he's younger than some of the blokes there, and he he obviously just lost his head. But like it's one of those things where you're trying to establish yourself as a senior in a group, as the alpha in a group, and it obviously, you know, that was the only thing that he had available to him was to physically That's assault it. one of his players. Yeah, and uh, Mark Guy also famously said he would have punched him back if it happened. To he him. did. Yeah, Thompson was like, if Thompson was like, if he had a slapped me, I would have decked him then and there. I was like, yeah, that's all it's Thompson. Now that would have been fun. Loved. Um, I've got another one. Um, so before we had, before we had the next Andrew Johns and the next Darren Lockyer and three next Shane Webkeys and six next uh, Petro Sivanasivas, etc., etc. There was the OG, the next Sonny Bill Williams, Carl Faliga. Um, so first of all, when I was trying to find anything about uh, Carl Faliga, looking up, looking through the, looking through my archives today, uh, I couldn't find anything before 2007. That was because his name was Carl McNichol when he was coming up through the junior ranks, uh, but he changed it to his mother's maiden name uh, after being raised as a in a single parent household as a when, young man. When was he Carl Tomata then? I think that's a, that is that a different guy. That's a different guy. Is it? Is it? God, I thought he was Kamada as well. Maybe I've got mixed up. I think that's a different guy. Um, so, Carl Faliga, he then became to be known, was a highly touted Kiwi centre who moved from Wellington um, to the glorious southwest of Sydney as a 15-year-old to play for the Chester Hill Hornets in the Bankstown competition. Uh, fun fact, uh, I actually took a senior's hat trick at the Chester Hill Hornets home ground, which doubled as a cricket oval in the summer. Um, so... Uh, I mean, just had to get that one in there. But um, great, yeah, so this is from a... Thanks, Steve Smith. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, so this is from a May 2007 article. Uh, only 18 and hasn't played a minute of NRL footy. But boom center Carl McNichol has been signed by the Sharks on a staggering deal that could see him earn $600,000 over the next three years. Um, so this is basically the last reference of being called Carl McNichol before he started going as Faliga. But touted as the next Sonny Bill Williams, he was chased by up to six clubs despite earning uh, a paltry amount playing reserve grade for the Bulldogs. Um, Bulldogs then chief executive Malcolm Node said that he was disappointed that manager Gavin Orr didn't come back to him before uh, signing the player over to Cronulla with Greg Pearce, uh, then the Sharks boss, admitting that he was shocked to learn they would have to pay so much to secure league's services back then six hundred thousand dollars over three years was quite a bit of money uh he said it's a lot of money but he is an elite player and if we didn't pay that money we wouldn't have got him outstanding players like this don't come along very often uh pierce said at the time um in a recent survey on the bulldogs website uh test stars sonny bill williams mark o'mealy and rennie mature rated Faliga as the best prospect in the game and literally the next day after the signing there was an opinion piece in the Telegraph saying, Sharks' brave move is not such a gamble. Well, guess what? That turned out to not be true. Uh, that that piece said that the Sharks should be applauded for their boldness, for staking their future out on the fringe where reputations are made. Signing the 18-year-old is their best indication to date of how serious they are about winning a premiership. Ricky Stewart is in control of his club and his intentions are clear. Um, yeah, Ricky missed out on quite a few guys around this time, by the way. Um, this was in that, that uh, mid to late 2000s period where Adam Cuthbertson came to Cronulla on big money in 2010 and was playing for the 
Como crocodiles within months. Um, of course, Josh Hannay and Brett Seymour spent similar time at the Gaimia Gorillas, and Rennie Matur was brought over from the Dogs on Decent Coin and was gone after just one season, which was mostly bench appearances. So say whatever you will about Ricky's coaching ability, but um, uh, especially at the, in those years at the Sharks, his eye for talent was not the best. Um, the day after this opinion piece came out saying that uh, this move wasn't a gamble, the Newcastle Herald offered a more nuanced take saying that the futures market was a risky business venture for NRL clubs, pointing out that this was a time where a lot of young players that hadn't really proved anything yet were getting huge contracts on big money. Um, And also the fact that he would miss the rest of the 2007 season with a chest injury had not put the Sharks off whatsoever. So what could go wrong? They'd given a huge contract to a guy that never played in the NRL uh, and who was injured. So already it sounds great. Um, It got worse very quickly for Cronulla. They couldn't afford to keep their halves and stay under the salary cap. Signing, uh, following the signings of the new Sunny Bill, as well as upgraded contracts for other players, including Brett Coney and Reese Williams, another couple of young heralded guys who didn't really work out. Um, this ended up with Brett Camorley leaving the club at the end of the 2008 season and going to the Bulldogs in 2009. The hype for this guy, I don't like people might not re- like, obviously, now in the internet age, it's a lot easier for young players to get hyped up. But do you guys remember Carl Faliga at all? And if so, do you remember just how hyped up he was around this time? Yes, I do. I do remember it. it was, as you said, I had not had much experience yet with the next Sonny Bill or the next Darren Lockyer or that at that point because I was also a young fella. But I remember this is when I used to also look around internet forums and Bulldogs fans are losing their damn mind as they want to do. Losing yep. their damn mind about it. Sharks fans are calling it one of the greatest signings ever. People were absolutely loving it. And as you said there, big money at the time and Called a slam dunk signing by everybody. It was like, you know, when Callum Pong went to the Knights, he got criticised, but most people, sorry, they got a little criticised, but a lot of people were saying that's it's a slam dunk. There's no way that kid's going to miss. Feliga yeah. going sucks was, was that level of signing. Exactly right. Uh, so Barry Tui did a top 10 youngsters a couple of months after Feliga's signing. That list in order was Valetti Mateo, Israel Folau, Peter Wallace, Kristen Inu, Chris Lawrence, Corey Patterson, Feliga himself, Luke Walsh, your mate Denon Kemp, and Eddie Payer. So... And this was a common theme. He'd go on to feature in basically every one-to-watch list I could find for that season. He was there, and he was basically in every season preview I could find when they did the team-by-team previews. Um, He was like the Sharks player to keep an eye on. So, yeah, the hype train was full speed ahead. Could not be be going any faster. Unfortunately, things didn't go to script. Uh, Other injuries and a failure to make a step up against adult players meant that Fuliga only saw 11 minutes of first grade in 2008 coming off the bench in a 24-22 win over Penrith. Despite that, he was still touted as a hot prospect and featured in a Courier-Mail column written by Peter Bedell and Damien Stannard where they ranked the top 50 rookies of 2009 across all four football codes. Uh, he came in at number 31 on that list, just ahead of Chris McQueen, Will Hopawade, and another guy with a similar trajectory, Mitchell Wayne Alugia. Wayne Alugia, mate, boom rookie up at the, the Cowboys. He was basically the Queensland version of Filiga around this time. Um, number yeah. one on this list for anyone who's wondering was Sisawanga, who, you know, was okay, but, you know, number one rookie in the country, considering there was guys like um, Dane Gagai, Willie Tonga, Jarrell Yayi, and a few AFL players who ended up playing All-Australia and were much further down on this list. Ben Jones was number two as well, so, yeah, not great. But... Uh, just two months after this list was published, it was all over. Feliga was released by the Sharks. Um, CEO Tony Zappia saying that he was released on compassionate grounds and he cannot play anywhere else until he gets a clearance from us. I don't know where he is at the moment or what his attentions are. 
the whole situation is very disappointing. So yeah, he just basically, it was over. Uh, he was still, you know, I think only 19 or 20 years old at this point and would never again play first grade. And sometimes, you know, young guys don't pan out, but like they don't pan out in the ways that like Tim Smith didn't pan out where there was a myriad of other reasons. And he at the very least showed talent in first grade. It's very, very rare for a guy with this much hype to not pan out and to basically never even play first grade rugby league. That's that's the thing there, mate. It's the, the opportunity is the is the weird thing too, because generally teams, as you know, they love a sunk cost in rugby league, and if a team plays for a well, player, t- yeah, generally they will sink so much time on. into them. That's it. Yeah, nobody sunk anything to Carl Felega. Yeah, it, it's crazy. So an attempt in 2010 to rebuild his career at uh, Wentworthville in the Ron Massey Cup, which at the time was, I believe, called the Bundy Red Cup, and uh, whilst. He apparently played quite well for them for a couple of seasons, and there was actually a little bit of mild buzz that the Eels could call him up. Uh, it never happened. He later played for Mudgee before ending up at the Kuma Stallions, where in 2017, uh, he was there as the club won their first Group 16 Premiership since 1994. So a relatively happy ending to the Carl Faliga story. And um, Mark Hughes, who was the recruitment manager at the Bulldogs, who brought him over from New Zealand, uh, that trip didn't end up being a complete bust for him because he, of course, moved on to become the Bunnies recruitment manager shortly after this. And um, while he was in New Zealand scouting for Liga, another player caught his eye, a young hooker by the name of Isaac Luke. Yeah, well, you guys seem to scout about a million good hookers at, at South, so I can't even be impressed by uh, you That's finding fair. Isaac Luke. Yeah, but he was like the OG of that. Um, but yeah, that was the Carl Faliga story, the bizarre story of a guy with so much hype getting such a small amount of chances. It doesn't really make sense to me. I would have loved to, I mean, because now when you get these guys, like there's tape of what they did as 16-year-olds, I would love to see what this guy was doing against 16-year-olds to get all this hype. Yeah, it's all you have now is like anecdotal evidence, and I'm sure there's some video on YouTube somewhere labeled terribly like Faliga.mp4 or .mov, sorry, of <laughs> the time. Yeah, in 240p. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. that's that's probably a somewhere. But yeah, all you have is the anecdotal evidence of the other guys, and yeah, he, he has that hype. As you said, so many of his teammates keep telling, told you this this guy's going to be the guy, and it just didn't happen. It's kind of like I'm not not the same comparison, but it's like how every off season I hear how good Jaden Sewer is, mm. and it's like I don't see that. all the everyone around him seems to think he was talented, but I have no idea why we never got to see more of him in the, in first grade. Yeah. And I just, as I can't, I, as you said, I can't, I just can't believe the guy never got a second club after so much hype. Like, at 20 years old, his NRL career was over. It's it's so weird to think about that now with like players like, and I know we we've harped on about him before, but like Moses Sully literally fell asleep <clears throat> in a car park, and he was like, he's a decent-ish player, but like Carflinger was like the next goat, like yeah. he was the next best player. Yeah, no, as Mitch said, this dude was getting Kalen Ponga levels of hype and he just was gone at age 20. Exactly. And like Kalen Ponga, like Felinga had at least played, like he played for the Junior Kiwis and stuff like that. And and like he was clearly a, a very talented player, but, you know, as you say, sometimes it just doesn't pan out. It, it, is, um, it is weird to think of like a player at such a young age going back to play bush footy too, whereas like you hear stories about like, Carney, as we mentioned a while ago, going to play out for Atherton or go to play for Goulburn. And like Terry Campese finishing his career playing for the Queensland Blues, uh, Queensland Blues. Like you hear about players at the end of their career kind of going back and playing in Group 16 or Raiders Cup or whatever it is playing up on the North Coast. 
but like a guy at the age of like 21 who who is really in peak physical fitness going back and playing for as you said going and playing for Mudgy is completely yeah. now completely weird but that was yeah. what 2007 it, it, it it's yeah something like that it, it's just it's the whole thing is just a very strange story um but and you know you would have thought that this might put people off calling everyone the next whoever, but it has not. But it's just the early days of Pete Bedell. He probably copies that top fifty every year and just changes the names without even changing any of the. Text. It's a pretty cool concept, though, to do like a top fifty rookies or youngsters across all four codes. There was a guy whose last name was Moy, who was like twelfth on this list. Dale, does Aaron Moy have a brother? Because this guy was like a high. This guy was twelfth and he played soccer, and his last name was it was like Brody Moy or something. Uh, he might do. He might do. Moy is a know. fairly uncommon name. Fairly com- right. It's a Dutch name, but fairly uncommon in Australia, I assume. Yeah. Uh, Brody Roy. Brody Moy is an Australian footballer who last played for West Ride Rovers. Uh, yeah. So he is, uh, he is a football carfalinger. There you go. Yeah. Uh, the highest the highest A-League player on this list was um that guy that captained wow. the Gold Coast when he was like 19. I forget his name. Mitch Cooper? Okay. That's him. Thank you. Yeah. yeah there you go. Um, he was, yeah, he that was, was uh, the sad story. Being with so there you go. <laughs> oh, so, if only we were a soccer podcast. You do like an eight-part series on Gold Coast. So I'm thinking, boys, <laughs> we're an hour and ten in this. Should I save my one for next time? Yeah. I think I should um, save yeah. this. Yeah. I think Especially if it's going to be a long one. Yeah, we'll definitely have a one, and it's like fifteen pages of the Aussie's book that I've summarised. I'd rather, I'd rather, you know, give it the energy it deserves rather than extend the end of the podcast. What do you guys reckon? Bit of a teaser for next one. Yeah, I think I think that's all right, especially given how how long it is. (laughs) Okay, we'll save it for next time then. That's all good. Love a bit of that. Yeah, good areas. Great. Okay, I mean that's that's fine with me. Um, and yeah, and you know, one of one of my stories today came from um came from a listener. One of Mitch's did as well. So if if you guys have any stories that you want to us to sort of dig a little deeper into, then um yeah, reach out. We'll be happy to do them. So is, is this the first? Is this the first time we've ever had a cliffhanger on the podcast? <laughs> Find out next time. Mitch is charging up his his spirit bomb. Mitch, Mitch is turning this into the, uh... like cereal. That is the first cliffhanger. Okay, I had an it. emotional end when I cried when Jonah died. That was, you know, his birthday's on the day. I remember that. But it might be our first cliffhanger. Maybe I'll have to put in some, like, mm. soapy music. And then next time we do the podcast, we're like, last time at NRL Boom Rookies. Yeah. We have a replay. I have a little it. summary <laughs> at the start, like the start, start of, you know, law and order. Uh, I made a mistake, sorry. It wasn't Mitch Cooper. It was James Brown, who also James played for Brown, Gold Coast United. very good shout. He also went on to play for Newcastle. There you go. Well, there you go. Our number 10 on this list, Ben Hunt. So they nailed that one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I find these, and obviously I'm sure if I tried to do this and we looked at it again in 10 years' time, it would be just as bad. But isn't that the whole reason why these things are pointless? It's like when you go back and look at any of the like future England teams from 10 years ago, they're just so funny. Like, they're just miles off. I don't know. This is why we shouldn't shouldn't oh, shouldn't invest in those anything. Teams, shouldn't mate. hope. Hope's pointless. 
Never, never love. The best thing about this future team debate is they rule out anyone who's currently over the age of like 25. (laughs) They cut anybody out. Like they're going to be 29 or 30 plus in five years. That's it. They're cooked. Cut them out. (laughs) Yep. Oh, this Latrell Mitchell might be good now, but uh, he'll be old news in five years' time. So (laughs) don't worry about it. Hey. Hey, <laughs> in that in photo in that someone posted the other day, he was looking, he was looking, he was looking good. And you might say it was bad light, or sorry, good light, or it was a camera angle, but I don't care. He was, he, he was looking, he was looking trim, the young lad. Are you saying I that Latrell Mitchell is catfishing rugby league fans? I don't know, maybe. Who knows? Could we catfish the yeah. ARL commission into like rules we want? Could be that hard to just like set up some bullshit poll somewhere and just like rig the results. Should we send the sharks? Should we send the sharks to Perth? Yes or yes. A hundred percent of people voted yes. Peter, Peter, hey, I've got a poll. I don't know. Send him to Perth. (laughs) Make a fake poll that has like sixty thousand votes on it, and just they all just say no to the Andrew John statue just to mess with our friend. (laughs) Valandis bans all statues in New South Wales. I don't know. We're just rambling now. Um, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Um, yep. Thank you all again for listening and, you know, leave us a review, subscribe to the Patreon. Let us know if you want us to tell any stories in the future. Uh, say goodbye, Dal. Goodbye, Dal. Say goodbye, Mitchell. And it's goodbye from me.